Good morning. Good morning, good morning. We continue in our uh, Encounters with Christ series, and uh, I don't know when the last time you've encountered that story, but when you just kind of slowly hear Anna read it and you think of the different characters, it's really the, it's the message this morning. We really could just read that and then just keep singing to Jesus. I will, uh, because I've prepared some words. I will share a few things with you that I'm excited to share with you, but boy, what a story about people expecting Christ to show up and people being healed and delivered. And uh, I think why this matters a great deal for me here before we pray and begin is that I worry at times that we don't expect very much of Christ anymore. We're pretty good at being self-sufficient. All of us in this room have longed for Jesus to intervene in a situation, a health crisis or a person we care about, and we've not understood why that healing has come slow. But let me be faithful to the text this morning. We worship an awesome and powerful and healing God. And in the text this morning, Jesus comes back to to, to the other side of the lake and sets people free. Brings dead places to life. And I want to encourage you to find yourself in the story this morning. Because I believe the Spirit of God wants to speak again and move you to places of life. Let me pray and we'll begin. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for this amazing story in in the life of your ministry. And thank you that though it was over 2,000 years ago, it's like it just happened. It's so powerful and so real. Thank you for the faith displayed through Jairus the father, through the longing of the woman, through the total deliverance and death to life of the little girl. And Lord Jesus, we pray that we would be a church hungry for you and expecting you to show up. We want to encounter you again this morning. In your name we pray, amen. Encounters with Christ, week five, expecting more in the family of God. Expecting more in the family of God. Turn to somebody around you and tell them you need to expect more. Just turn to somebody you came with or somebody random and just remind them you need to expect more. You need to expect more. We need to expect more because like I said, Many, 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 many of us in the church today, we struggle with what does hope look like? What does expectancy look like for a church wanting to see God move? This week in our pastoral meetings, Pastor Richard gathered all the pastors and was teaching us and we were lamenting some of the situation happening in other churches in America and we were talking about accountability, we were talking about vulnerability, we were talking about professing Christ and not being too comfortable in our own places of power. And Richard reminded us, he said, in a modern mindset, less and less people are asking about truth, though that's certainly part of the equation, but less and less people are saying what is true, that's more of a modernism construct, and more and more people in our society are saying, but what works? What works? Does does this faith in Jesus work? in a marriage? Does it work in a dating relationship? Does it work as a kid being raised in a family of faith? Does it work, those of us raising little kids or caring for older parents, does it work in retirement? People are asking about the gospel, does it still work in their lives? And this is a text which reminds us about the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ to bring dead places to life, to bring... bleeding places to be healed. 
And, and, and the, the, the real basis of the encounter this morning is to remind us that, that real people aware of real needs are set free by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? This has been the story in Luke 8. We've been teaching it slowly. We had Jesus with his disciples show his power when he calmed the storm. It was kind of a, a, a display of God's power over external situations. Last week, I got the chance to teach about Jesus getting to the far side of the lake, the land of the Gerasenes. And we talked about setting in these encounters means so much. Because in that middle part of Luke 8, that was only, Jesus only went to that side, the east side of the lake of Galilee, three times in his ministry. And now in today's passage, he's back on the Jewish side. And he's, he's, he's meeting people that expect him to show up. And when hungry people who expect the Spirit of God to show up, Jesus says, I will encounter you. I will change you. I will heal you. And we're going to teach a little bit of the challenge in that proclamation that the healing is declared over us, even with the timing we may wrestle with. And today, very simply here, we're going to look at the last 16 verses of Luke 8. I hope you brought your Bible. We're going to be just looking at the characters and looking at the Father and looking at the healing of two women to see this challenge and invitation for us as a church to be expecting more in the family of faith. We want to be expecting God to show up, expecting Jesus to heal the people that we love that are enslaved in some places of bleeding and brokenness. We want to expect more. Let's start here with the first bit of Luke 8, verse 40 through 42. Let's talk about the father. Now, when you see the father, Jairus, Jairus is his technical name, we'll call him Jairus, When Jesus returned, verse 40, a crowd welcomed him. So again, Jesus on the far side of the lake, and he's back on the Jewish side, and and the crowd welcomed him, and they were all expecting him. Now that can seem like subtext, or it can seem like part of not even really the story, but that word really pops to us this week, expecting him. Because there's something in this expectancy that sets the stage for the power of Christ to really be put on display. They were expecting him. And this man named Jairus, a synagogue leader, came and fell at Jesus' feet. Now this is where scripture is so fun. When you're reading it on your own and you're studying it and you're reading it slow. Because when you look at something like synagogue leader and you kind of slow down, you realize that, that those are words just pregnant with meaning. Like when, when you would hear in the first century, in Jesus' time, if you would hear synagogue leader, oh my gosh, you know this man without knowing this man. A synagogue leader? Well, they're the leader of our entire town. They're they're the ones with the most power because the the, the civic life was still gathered around. The Roman authorities were still policing and and collecting tax. In the Jewish cities, the synagogue was still very much the center of town. And so the leader, the synagogue leader, boy, he has power. He has authority. He he likely has great provision of wealth. He's he's definitely educated, probably the most educated man in town. So when Jairus, the synagogue leader, came and fell at Jesus' feet, those words are just so loaded with meaning. Keep in mind, we know from the rest of Luke that already other synagogue leaders were hatching a plan to entrap Jesus because already they were saying that Jesus is is a threat to their power. This text speaks a lot about power and about the way that the kingdom of God disrupts the power structures of our earthly systems. And so Jairus, the synagogue leader, finds himself face down 
at the feet of Jesus because he's expecting Jesus to show up. Now, when you combine both Mark and Luke's passage about Jairus and his daughter, we know that she was 12 years old, the daughter, the little girl. We know that it was Jairus' only daughter. And we know here in Luke 42 that she was dying. She was dying. And so, though Jairus has power, and he has authority, and he has a leadership position, and he has financial means, and he has theological training, he has everything that that people would say would give his life meaning, here in the presence of his 12-year-old little girls dying, he has nothing. And we we just need to pause for just a moment and kind of sit in that. Because when you look at a 12-year-old, you, you see all that's right with creation. You see the beginnings of their, their adult personality, but still holding on to this childhood persona. I've got a 12-year-old in my home, and though they're far from perfect, it's a sweet age. And so this Jairus, though he has everything, when his little girl gets sick, it puts him at the feet of Jesus. Now, you all know that when I say what I'm about to say next, I do not say it glibly. I do not say it tongue-in-cheek. I do not say it without understanding the weight that these words carry. But please understand, in Jairus' situation, his daughter's near-death experience is an opportunity for his faith to grow. It's an opportunity for his hope to grow. It's an opportunity for his expectancy to grow. It's an opportunity for Jesus to do something massive in his life. And so you know that I won't say these words glibly. And if you don't know me, trust me. I I recognize this is the front of a lot of bad Hallmark cards you've received when you've been in places of grief. So I'm sorry for that. But the fact of the matter is to teach this text The reality is that Jairus' situation with his daughter is an opportunity for disengagement or expectancy. You see it? All right? And so when we hurt, when we struggle, when we mourn, when we lose, when we cry, when we mourn, when we're aware of our brokenness, there is a peace in us that wants to retreat. And there is another piece like Jairus says, the one place that I can be healed right now, the one place that I can be set free is at the feet of Jesus. And so I can say this to you as a church and have you ask you to wrestle with this truth that when you hurt, it can be an opportunity for your faith to grow. Paul says this in Romans 15, 13, may the God of hope fill you with joy and peace as you trust in him so that you would be filled with hope. And if part of our issue as a modern church is we don't expect to see the power of Jesus anymore, the result of this is we struggle with hopelessness as a church. We struggle with hopelessness. Where's the hope? And whether it's the Seattle Times or New York Times or the Atlantic or CNN or Fox or CNBC, like I don't know where you get your news. But when you get the news, if you're like me, at times you might struggle with hopelessness. And yet, as, as disciples of Jesus Christ, when we struggle with hopelessness, we're asked by Jesus to be expectant that he will show up. 
Because here's the thing that Jesus will teach because this is a passage about healing and dead people coming to life and this woman being set free. Listen to me, church. The healing, our healing as a church, our healing is inevitable. It's inevitable as followers of Christ. It's inevitable. Can we proclaim that in your life? Your healing is inevitable. The timing is entirely up to Jesus. Your healing is inevitable. If you believe in Jesus, you know at some point you'll be set free from this pain. You know at some point you'll be set free from this affliction. You know at some point that person you're at some point you'll be set free. The healing is inevitable. The timing is entirely up to Christ. How do I know? A good friend of mine just recently mourning again the loss of his father from several years ago. And I asked him, I said, how do you... How do you teach this text about healing while you're remembering the own death of your father? And he reminded me, he said, healing's inevitable. Timing's totally up to Jesus. And we believe my father was healed the moment he passed over and was given breath in his lungs. We believe as a church that the healing is inevitable And some of the situations we pray over, we will wait and we will wait and we will wait, but we are not called to give up hope. We are not called to give up expecting God to show up. In Romans 5, Paul says, we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. There it is. There's the hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love is poured out into our hearts through the spirit who's been given to us. And so Jairus comes desperate, expecting God to show up. And so to be a disciple of Jesus, church, desperation brings restoration. Desperation in the life of a Jesus follower brings restoration. I know this to be true because I've seen this. The the, the desperation brings restoration. And we will proclaim the power of Jesus through this text. I... I I wish it said something else because some of you are like really waiting for God to show up. But this is a text about power. And so we'll proclaim it in your lives that the healing's inevitable, the timing's entirely up to to Jesus. And I will ask you to to believe that while you wait and persevere and character is being born in you, the hope of Jesus Christ might live in you. And there's something about Jairus where every one of the things that he could rely on is gone and that it puts him face down at the feet of Jesus. Desperation brings restoration. But there's a warning. If we're going to teach the expectancy of the power of Christ, I can't give you a formula. This isn't about my teaching or our wisdom as a church or sign up on this piece of paper because I want to proclaim to you this morning one thing and one thing only and that's the power of Jesus Christ. We need to through this text we need to have more expectancy about the power of Christ and less expectancy about our own power because as soon as we start to preach this about the hope and the expectancy what we've done in the modern church is we've gotten it wrong a lot of times because we think that we as leaders are supposed to be more powerful, bigger churches, more influence. And the more influence and the more people, well, I'll sell you a book and a program. Come and follow me. And time and time and time again, and it happened again this week, we see churches explode in America because the power structures are all wrong. And just this week in America, another megachurch exploded 
and brought to light the way in which a, a leader who was powerful and wise trusted his power instead of being face down like Jairus at the feet of Jesus. And this church had to confess and realize the way in which they had victim blamed and victim shamed. And women who had come forward against the leaders were finally vindicated for the pain that they had been through. How many times do we need to see this? Churches exploding around the wrong power source. It's not going to be me or Richard or Raul or Ruth or Anna. It's not about an earthly leader. Yes, the church was given as a vehicle to worship Christ, but all of it is modeled here in Jairus to be face down at the foot of Jesus, the one place of real power. Jairus is expectant, and for this reason, Jesus, he moves while he was speaking, someone came from the, uh, the house of Jairus, the leader. Your daughter's dead, they said. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Hearing this, Jesus said to him, don't be afraid. Just believe she'll be healed. Jesus doesn't even give the man, Jairus, a chance to back out. He's like, just keep walking with me. And I know it doesn't make sense right now because the, the people from your household are saying the little girl's gone. Keep walking. Keep going. Do not trust your own power. Find yourself, says Jesus, with me face down. I want to I heal your little girl. I want to show you my power. I, I believe that the healing is inevitable. And Jesus says, trust me on the timing, Jairus. Trust me. And he keeps walking. And while he walks, we have these two girls that get healed. This is an amazing text. Look at the story of the daughters. This is continuing on. As Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. So much description there. I don't know if you've ever found yourself in a crowd like that. I was in a mosh pit once at a punk band named Fugazi in this little theater in Olympia, Washington, and the promoter had oversold the tickets, had double sold the tickets. There's twice as many people at this punk show that's supposed to be. We were literally getting crushed. We couldn't even breathe. You were like, you would push out to take a breath. I mean, this happens. People actually get injured in mobs like this. This is the kind of mob that's around Jesus as he's walking with Jairus, the biggest leader in town. They all know, oh, wow, the, the healer is back. The biggest guy in town has asked him to do something. Get ready for a show. It's going to be great. But Jesus' timing is all off because there's a woman there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years and no one could heal her. She came up behind him. She touched the edge of his cloak. And the bleeding stopped immediately, immediately. Do you know what immediately means in the Greek when you translate immediately? It means immediately. It's the same word. It's incredible. Like right away, right away, immediately stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asked. They all denied it. Peter said, Master, the people are crowding, pressing against you. And Jesus said, no, someone touched me. I know the power has gone out for me. And then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, she came trembling and fell at his feet in the presence of all the people she told why she touched him how she'd been instantly healed then he said to her daughter your faith has healed you go in peace this woman this woman that medicine couldn't heal that money couldn't heal that status couldn't heal jesus healed immediately immediately and it's incredible because the contrast of this crowd pressing and Jesus acknowledging that she touched him. It's like Jesus is kind of giving us this word that you can be around me and not touch me. 
You can, you can come to gatherings or carry a Bible. Like, you can be around me. You can be part of the crowd, certainly, says Jesus. There's, there's literally thousands of people in the crowd, but only one really touched because she knew that she needed to be healed. Again, this word of expectancy and hopefulness and, and, and clinging for Jesus to do something massive in her life allowed Jesus to, to be transformative for her. And there's certainly a piece of this sermon that challenges a spectator faith. A spectator faith. We, man, it's real easy to be a spectator in the lives of faith. We've got theater chairs and a big creaky stage and a communicator that runs around. I mean, it's a show. It's a show. Was the show good today? I don't know. Hungry people get fed in, in the Gospels. Expectant people get touched in the Gospels. Women like this bleeding woman, an outsider in every case in, in, in that society, get healed at the feet of Jesus. Jesus says, somebody touched me. Okay, that sounds good. That sounds good. I'm in. But how do we actually do that? Well, for her, she models two things that maybe will work for you in the week ahead. She models pursuit and she models vulnerability. She models pursuit. She, can, she knows, like, through the crowd, if, if these crowds are as thick as, like, what I have a mental picture from my punk show, like, that would have taken some work. She's pursuing Jesus. We want to sit in the comfortable chair, and we want Jesus to just drop into our lap. And this woman models pursuit, and she also models vulnerability. Both of them do. Jairus, powerful, face down to Jesus. This woman, who would be an outsider in every way in Jewish culture, she models vulnerability. She comes trembling. She knows she has nowhere to hide. And the uh, Gospel of Mark says that Jesus sat down with her, and she told him her whole story. Her whole story, says Mark. Whole story. Twelve years. Spent all my money. Everywhere I go, I have to yell out, I'm unclean. I'm unclean. Every, everyone has deserted me. Because I can't be in a marriage relationship like this. I can't have kids like this. I, I have no value in Jewish society like this. But pursuit and vulnerability lead her to the feet of Jesus. And a whole crowd doesn't get changed. And this woman is transformed. And he says to her daughter, go in peace. How do we know that we've had an encounter with the Holy Spirit? Because God speaks into our life our true identity, and he leaves us changed. And I know that for some of us, we've struggled because we want God to change us. We don't want to be addicted anymore. We don't want to be angry anymore. We don't want our marriage to be like this anymore. Man, I'm in touch with my need. I've been bleeding out. Jesus, I... Like I'm hearing pastors say, you know, healing's inevitable. Timing is totally up to you, but it's, I'm desperate. This woman has changed in an instant through pursuit and vulnerability to Jesus' feet, and she, trembling, healed, tells the whole story, and Jesus is present with her. Now, you have to just understand that what Jesus is modeling here in the mob of first century Israel is saying, in my kingdom, the power is going to look different. In my kingdom, I know you all are gathered because Jairus is the biggest deal since sliced bread. But in my kingdom, this woman takes precedence. 
This woman who has no value in society, but to Jesus, she says, she's my daughter. It's amazing. He's saying power is going to look differently. I know in your world, values attuned by our job title, our, our, our status, our skin color, our gender. That's how we've done it in society for a couple thousand years. Hasn't worked out real well. We're one year ago today from Charlottesville. We have, it, we have a racism problem in America. We talked about God using the power of women to move his kingdom. We have, a, we have a gender issue in America. We have some issues we're working through, okay, right? But in God's kingdom, he says, it's not like that. And he breaks every ER law in the world. We have some nurses here. He breaks the law, right, Julie? You have a cute issue and you have, what's the word I'm looking for? Ongoing, persistent, chronic issues. Thank you. Jesus breaks the rules. Doesn't make any sense. You have chronic issues. She's been bleeding for 12 years, Jesus. Send her to the back of the ER. You can get to it. He's got an acute issue. This little girl is passing. You can just, you know, if you're Jairus, what are you doing? Right? Wouldn't you be like, what's taking you so long? I have minutes with my little girl, and you stop and hear the whole story? He's breaking the rules to teach them. That it's going to look different, power in the new order. And so those with power in the room, you need to hear a challenge. The power has all got to be about Jesus becoming greater and you becoming less, as John would say in John 8. He must become greater, I must become less. That's the power of being a believer in Jesus Christ. You want to lead? Get on your knees. You want to be changed? Show up at the feet of Jesus. And this woman expectantly kind of gets to be an advocate for all the women that have gone before. And Jesus says, you are my daughter. You're my daughter. What a word. This is the only place in the four gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's the only place. Read your Bibles this week. Only place that he looks at a girl and says, daughter, woman. He'll say the word daughter when he speaks over Jerusalem. My daughter, Jerusalem, how I long to gather you. He'll use the word a few other times. But this is the only person Jesus calls daughter. And I don't know where that hits you, but for me this week, that was a real encouragement. Whether you're a woman or a man, maybe you need to be reminded that you're a daughter of a high king. That you are a son of Jesus Christ. And that changes the way you lead into your businesses, into your relationships, into any power structure because we have been called by who Jesus says we are, not what society says we are. And he's calling us to place of transformation born from expectancy. This church has been around for about eight years. And some of the best stories of transformation don't get shared very often from the platform because most of them are... They they need to be confidential. So the stories of people that we pray for in addiction and we see people set free, people at the junction who are unemployed, addicted, who, who find new life and healing in the gospel, marriages broken, restored, single people saying, you know, I've been doing it wrong. I want to I have more life in my dating relationship, parents that have new hope with kids, kids that have new hope with, like, we've seen the transformation, I will tell you. I wish I could tell more of the stories. It's been amazing. But I can promise you this, a common denominator in all of the change stories, the more, the more hungry they were for God to move, the more change happened. The more people are just part of the crowd, 
less change happens. This woman shows up and tells Jesus his story, and he calls her daughter. And then the little girl, we're going to lump into this final passage, which has a lot to teach us as a church today. This is the story of us from Luke 8, 51 through 56. Jesus arrived at Jairus because Jairus, even though people said, don't bother going anymore, he didn't stop following Jesus. And that's an encouraging word to someone in this room that even though the world is saying, stop, it's gone, it's dead, Jairus kept going with Christ. And Jesus did not let anyone go in with him except Peter, John, and James, and the child's father and mother. And all the people were wailing and mourning. Stop wailing, Jesus said. She's not dead but asleep. And they laughed at him because the modern construct, even in in first century Israel, is like, this faith doesn't make sense. This is laughable. And Jesus comes into dead places and says, stop wailing. I want to bring my life to you. I want to bring my hope to you. I want you to be expectant that I'll still show up in your life. And so then Jesus takes her by the hand. Look at the touch of the Savior. And while touching her hand, he says, my child, get up. He called the first woman daughter. And now he calls Jairus' daughter, my child, get up. And And she lived. Her spirit returned. And at once she stood up. And then Jesus told them to give her something to eat. And the parents were astonished. And he ordered them not to tell anyone what had happened. My child, get up. My child. Only three healings from death to life happen in the Gospels. There's Lazarus, there's this girl, and then there's another child in in the Gospel of Luke. Only three. It's a really big deal when Jesus brings dead people to life. And this is one of them. She was dead, and now she's alive. And and people were astonished. The Greek word used here is exitami. They They were blown away. They couldn't believe it. And unfortunately, for many of us raised in the church, it's just... I've heard this one before, but not these people. They had never seen such power in the presence of Christ. They had never seen such movement. They, they expected him to show up, and they, he superseded their expectations. And church, I will ask you, I'm not sure what's dead inside you this morning, but Jesus longs to see those dead places and bring them to life. I don't know what skeletons in the closet you've been hanging on to too far. They're like, but... If they knew that part of my story, they would never free me from it. Jesus says, be free from it. I came, though the world is laughing at me, I came to proclaim these words over you. Stop wailing. Start expecting me to show up and be astonished when I do. Because I, says Jesus, am a God of power and hope and life. I came to bring life that they would have it expectantly. How? How? Scott, give me something practical to do this. How? I want to give you three practical things before we end. The first is this. How you relate to the Father is informed directly to how you perceive Jesus. And so when Jesus came to earth, he came as our gateway to have proper relationship with the Father. And if you look at Jesus in this passage, he's powerful and he's compassionate and he above all else is intimate. I mean, the first woman just touched his cloak, but this second little girl, this 12-year-old, Jesus grabs her by the hand, calls her daughter. Be intimate with Jesus, church. Pursue him in prayer or in worship or in word or in fellowship. Be intimate with him. He longs to be with you. And secondly, 
I've been talking a lot about, I believe in the modern Seattle church, our hopelessness is born out of a lack of expectancy. But if you watch right now where the church is growing by leaps and bounds, where's it growing? It's growing, it's growing in the third world, in Asia, in, in South America, in Africa, in places where people expect Jesus to, to show up and to bring rain and to heal demons and, and to do new things. And it, where there's places of more expectancy, they are, they are, they're, they're feeling the spirit more. Not in America, not in Europe. This is happening. So be expectant, church. Redeem ways in which maybe you've been approaching Jesus not very expectant, where you got tired from just getting on your knees over the same old prayer. Jesus says, expect me to show up and I will. And finally, a word of practicality in the week ahead. Hear this piece about crowds around him, but only one woman who touched him. Step out of the crowd. And maybe Christ is asking you to be more public about him in the school year ahead. Maybe Christ is, is asking you to be more public about him in your marriage, that you might pray every morning or in the evening. Or be more public about him in some way. I'm not asking you to be political. I'm not asking you to be socially minded. I'm asking you, says Jesus, step out of the crowd. And when you do, I want you to be ready for me. Step out and kneel down. Little girl, says Jesus, get up, get up, get up. He touches her, get up. I told you a few times. I used to work in Canada as a fisherman, and we would work for 100 days straight for about 18, 19 hours a day, and we'd get so tired, so fatigued, in many ways hopeless, discouraged by the end of the summer. By the end of the summer, man, nothing could wake me up in the morning, because our alarm would go off about three in the morning after four or five hours of sleep. So we would try all the tricks. I'd try all the tricks. I'd set, you know, two alarms across the room. That didn't work most times. I'd ask one of my coworkers, hey, do you mind waking me up? Nothing would get me up. Even an older gentleman who was on staff with us, I was like, hey, do you mind? Just knock on the door. And hey, you know, get up. And I just roll over, right? I don't know if this is anyone in the room. But when my father walked into the room and said, Scott, it's time to get up and go to work. When my father walked into the room, when my father walked into the room, I always woke up. Always did. Get up. Get up. Get up. When my father walked in, it's time to get up and go to work. Jesus is speaking to you this morning. He's speaking to you this morning. There's places of bleeding in your life. There's 12 years some of you are carrying. And Jesus wants to take you by the hand and he wants to say to you, get up from down there. Get up and live. Get up that the spirit of God may enter into dead places. Get up and experience my power and hopefulness. Get up that the world might see what's changing in you and give worship to me. Get up. Up. And when we do, church, when we experience that healing and that hope born out of places of expectancy, we have a witness informed by the transformation of our own lives. Hear the word being proclaimed into your life this morning. Get up. Expect it. He wants to work in your life. Let me pray for you now. Lord Jesus, thank you for the way in which you're calling us out of love and our identity as children of a high king to get up and to leave behind the old story of death and discouragement. Get up from places that have been causing us anxiety and loss. Get up from places of physical affliction. Lord Jesus, we have the audacity to be hopeful this morning. We have the courage this morning to get on our knees and bow down to you. 
And to say that our power structures and our finances and, 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 and our churches, everything that we've built to try to know you, Lord, at a level, all of it fails unless it's just leading us to a place of being face down to you. And so this morning, Lord Jesus, this church is at your feet that we would worship you, that you would bring dead places to life, that you would heal us for whatever ails us this morning. Lord God, give us an awareness of our own brokenness and sin. Allow us to confess that to you and to move into new life. The Spirit bringing dead places to life. Lord God, we want to touch you this morning. And all God's people said, Amen.